Everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. Uh, more importantly, this is our Street Smart Spirituality Hour. This is where we cover topics that go anything from sex to spirituality or in the other order, spirituality to sex, and some people say there is absolutely no difference. Uh, what do we want to do uh, during this hour is we want to really cover some of the tough topics. We want to talk about some things that uh, will change people's lives, will help them, and will enable them to really get some guidance and direction. One of the hot topics right now has to do with the number of addictions that are stemming from the Internet, and we want to talk about some of those. But first and foremost, um, I want to introduce you to my guest today because out of all of the, the people that I could have picked with the, you know, for this topic, I picked a woman who is internationally known for her work with individuals, work that has to do with addictions of just about any kind, but she is especially known for Internet addiction, computer addiction, and what we are going to talk about today, cyber sex and what's happening with that. So today's show is one of these shows that is there, that we are doing it, to educate and inform. And the reason that this is so important is because our young people are tapping in to an area that they don't have a whole lot of information about. My guest today, Sue Newfeld-Ellis, is an expert in this field. She has practiced as a psychotherapist, a counselor, healer, and a nurse for over 20 years. Her abilities and facilitating skills create this incredible dynamic process for people, people who are seeking assistance in areas of their life which are needing and wanting to change. So the, the cool thing about what Sue does is she combines both Eastern and Western belief systems of spirituality in order to bring to the table solutions for problems that we run into in living our lives. She used therapies that include uh, EMDR, uh, eye movement, uh, desensitization, uh, thought field therapy, addiction counseling, stress management, voice dialogue, Reiki, meditation, Q2 energy spa, and breath work. And not only does she do that, but also hypnotherapy. She is known for her fabulous work that she does not only with people individually, but people in groups. She is now the creator of a fabulous new CD, and this is a breakthrough CD, and we'll tell you why, called Serenity Through Meditation. Uh, the website that you're going to want to probably tap into while you're listening to the show is quantumhealing.us. And today we've got a very big topic, very big. Some people said to me, 
why are you talking about this topic? And they, obviously, these are people that know, don't know me, but Sue Newfeld Ellis, welcome to the show, and let's answer the question, why are we talking about this? Hello, everyone, and thanks, Dr. Pat. It's great to be here. We are talking about this because the statistics are overwhelming, and I want to share just a few of those with you as we get started here. Uh, this is one of the biggest growing areas, as we all know. The Internet is just growing in all areas, affecting everybody's life in so many different ways by leaps and bounds. And there's so many positive, wonderful things about it, but there are some negative, painful things that are happening. And I think that all those things need to be addressed so we can all continue to grow and heal and become the best that we can and, and, and also decrease the pain in the world as much as we can. So kind of opening with that, I'd like to share a few statistics. Pornography profits are estimated to be $57 billion worldwide. What? Yes. $57 billion yep. worldwide? Hmm. More than the combined revenues of the NFL, NBA, MLB, Major League Baseball, by the way, uh, NBC, CBS, and ABC. And that's from InternetFilterReview.com. That's a so, huge amount of money. Isn't Huge. that incredible? Mm -hmm. And in the same survey by them, 75% of 15 to 17-year-olds say they have had multiple exposures to hardcore pornography on the Internet. And those are the people that are only admitting it. Exactly. And those are the only ones surveyed. And um, in a 2005 poll by NBC and uh, is that LE Magazine, E-L-L-E, -L -L -E, right, found right. that... 24% of men who viewed pornography say it influenced their idea of beauty. The same poll found that 28% of men who view pornography have asked their partner to get breast implants. So that is interesting as well. And so all of this is really, I mean, the bottom line is we're talking about really looking at a whole new area of self-esteem, one where, you know, we're continuing to degrade. The, the, the who we are, I mean, it really opens up a bigger conversation in all of this as well. Even though today's show, what we're going to be doing is opening the door so we can have a conversation about what's going on, why this is an important topic, and what right. we can do about it. Right, because it is true. There is objectification going on, and there's a lot of pressure on people in our culture um, men and women, but also the young people, about how to look and how to be an image. And I think, unfortunately, the Internet contributes to that as well. But uh, we are going to talk about how we can get some help with that. Well, let's separate a couple of uh, definitions for folks because um, I think it's really important that we, we really talk about uh, some of the things that that folks are using the internet for, unlike this show and this network, right. uh, there are things going on right now that you don't even know your children are doing, and and this is why this is so important right now. And so there is this idea of cyber sex, and that's very different than telephone sex and other things. And we're going to talk about what it is. And more importantly, Sue Newfeld Ellis 
is here as an expert on addiction, we're just not talking about a couple of visits or accidentally, you know, you know, Googling a website that we didn't know existed here. That's not what we're talking about, are we, Sue? No. And, you know, that does happen. I mean, things do come up. And because people see images on the Internet does not mean they have a problem with it. I mean, there can be positive uh, uses of the Internet regarding sexuality. There's so much good sex education uh, on the Internet. And in one survey, it was saying that that is the majority of uh, information that women get is on positive sexuality and, and sexual growth, um, things like that. And so, you know, just because kids see a few images, I mean, that's not good. We don't like that but it doesn't mean they're going to have a problem. So we are talking about different places on this continuum, such as just seeing something versus having it become a problem. There's actually five types of cyber sex people. Uh, one would be uh, people that just come upon it, you know, and, and uh, hopefully most of the adolescents uh, would, would just come upon it and nothing would happen, although we know that that's not particularly true for everyone. But that makes for a good excuse. Yeah, it does. And, <laughs> and there's appropriate recreational users which explore sex on the Internet without any problems. They don't get into any trouble with it at all. Then there's inappropriate people that might, like, email something to their, you know, to their um, coworker or email to a friend, which is inappropriate because that person's not asking for it. Uh, and then there's people that um, uh, start to, like people that, uh, well, as adults that go on dating services, things like that. So they're discovering uh, dating, um, and those people don't necessarily get in trouble on the Internet, although some do. And then there's some that do get in trouble, and they do develop compulsive behaviors, and it does become a problem on the Internet. And so there is, you know, um, these different groups. Now, as far as uh, children and adolescents go, 20% um, of that same survey of children 10 to 17 years old uh, said they did receive unwanted sexual solicitations online. And um, so that does happen, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have a problem. Now, there are ways to um, uh, find out what your children are doing, and I want to share some of these because we want to share what are some of the things that we can do to uh, make it safer. And one, of course, is to try to continue to talk to your child in all areas because if you develop a trusting relationship early, then there will be more open dialogue and conversation about touchy areas such as this. So it's really important as much as possible to keep that door of communication open. And if you suspect your children are viewing inappropriate sites, not to overreact. In other words, approach your son or daughter with respect and attempt to talk to them about it. Um, also, you might want to add online profiles that monitor your child's use of the Internet and keep computers in heavy tra traffic areas in the home. Uh, also know children's and adolescents' online friends. And you can use a pre-filtered Internet service provider. And one website I want to share for that, if you want to check that out, is www.filterreview.com. So it's filterreview.com. 
Also check CDs, floppies, and zip disks. Check history files often. And spend some time with your child as they surf the Internet. Uh, ask your child to show you what instant messaging looks like. And spend time with the child online and have them teach you about their favorite online destination. So those are some things that I wanted to share uh, with concerned parents of children and adolescents as some tips on how to help. Now, what was the study that you used for our listeners? Uh, if we could give them some information on the study, I'm sure they're going to want to, you know, perhaps Google this and find some information out. Oh, yeah, I'm going to give you some really good websites that I got this information from. One is www.protectkids.com. So I got some of the information from there. There's also a great website. It's uh, www.illusionsprogram. So that's I-L-L-U-S-I-O-N-S, and then program, all one word, dot net. And they have a lot of the statistics that I quoted uh, as well. And they also have lots of tips for parents. They have tips for educators. And they have tips for people that think that they might have a problem. I also want to direct you to my website, which is www.quantumhealing.us. And I have on the home page, I have a button that says Resources. And when you get to the resource page, there will be a listing that will say Dr. Karn's Resources. And that is a site, or you can Google it or, or go to the site, sexhelp.com. And that has wonderful resources, reading information, articles, lists of 12-step programs that help people that have problems. Also on that same page, there will be a button that says ITAP, I-I-T-A-P. And that is where you can click on and get uh, information about treatment programs or certified therapists that deal with this area, both adolescents, adults, couples, women, men, groups. So I really tried to put together some really good resources for, for everyone so that they can get as much information as they want or need. Well, I mean, one of the things I also want to say is that, you know, this is an area of psychology that's being looked at very closely. Uh, it took the APA a while, and I, I think you know this, Sue, as well, to really come to the table. But I know that one of the, 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 the more significant conversations on this was at their uh, 2002 conference, uh, and I think that was in Chicago. And there were presentations made there by uh, 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 Dr. Barry Gordon, who worked on MSNBC, and also Dr. Greenfield, who is one of the, 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 the researchers uh, for the Center of Internet Studies. And so, you know, when we look at the conversation that goes on about cyber sex, it is exactly like you said. There are sides of it that people, quote, see as, what's the word that I want to use? Okay, so to say. And there are other sides of it that form into deviant behavior and addiction. And there are some people that say none of it is okay. And right. so this is the dilemma that we have around sexuality, and now how sexuality is portrayed on the Internet. What seems to be the confusion? Why do you think some people are 100% well, no, this should be totally eliminated, and some people feel 
that, especially in the psychology field, I mean, these are people that, like yourself, people that are looking at this from different points of view and saying that, you know, parts of this are like everyday sexual uh, behavior. Well, I think, um, you know, in this whole field, having been in it since 1987, uh, you know, we came out of a time in the 70s. Uh, you know, before the 70s, there was overall as a culture, and I'm going to be very general here, so bear with me. But as a culture, we came out of more of a kind of Victorian, hush-hush uh, era of sexuality. And then the 70s came with drug, sex, rock and roll, and, and all of that, and things opened up. And I know there has been a debate in the field, um, particularly when, when originally it was basically sex therapists. And sex therapists were trying to help people with their sexual problems, and there were even people that, you know, some therapists that were surrogates and teaching people how to have healthy sexuality. You know, there was all sorts of versions of that. And so it was like, well, let's not be Victorian about it. I mean, there was even a, a well-known uh, psychologist whose name I won't mention that's, you know, nationally known, that when someone wrote uh, and, and wrote a letter to this person and said, I just found a bunch of uh, pornography and videos uh, of some sexual acts I'm uncomfortable with under the bed that, you know, my husband's been looking, you know, looking at, and, you know, I, I don't think it's impacting our sex life very well. And the response was, well, you should be happy because now this can help spice up your sex life without any thought whatsoever that this person could have a sexually compulsive or addictive problem. And so, you know, there are a lot of sides to this. And so, you know, the field of sex addiction has only, or sexual compulsivity, either one, which are just different, you know, different areas on the continuum, um, has not really been around very long. It's only been around since the late 70s, early 80s. And so there is, you know, so much debate about what's helpful, what's not. And, you know, I don't think, like I say, I don't think in and of itself um, you know, that is wrong. But what happens is, is when people are looking at images, uh, they're being imprinted. In other words, their eyes, their brain, and what we call arousal or sexual templates are being imprinted. And so I know that from in the psychology field and in my field particularly, that's one concern that we have. You know, we're just starting to do research on those areas um, with kids and adolescents because, face it, the Internet's only been around since, you know, the early 90s, you know, in such a big way. And so, you know, we're going to be starting to do more and more research on that to see, you know, possibly what the effects are. But, you know, right now we don't know. You know, because sex education can be a good thing on the Internet. It's just some kids will be traumatized by some of the images they see. Some will be sexually turned off. Some will be eroticized by it. Some will be compulsive. Some won't have any effect at all. Some will have minimal effect. So it, you know, it depends on, I think, on the people, uh, where they're coming from. Um, but I know that a lot of people also say that any type of pornography um, is exploitive and is objectification and is not a good thing. So, like you say, there's so many different um, opinions on this. And, and part of this in this conversation is to really 
open up the dialogue here for people to really get educated and informed. Uh, right. I get I get more uh, emails from time to time around, you know, I don't know what I did. I went in, I Googled something, but this is what came back, and now I can't get rid of this thing that's following me around. So, you know, there are side effects on the Internet that people don't know about. And something um, as as, let's just call it, innocent as looking somebody up and clicking on a link that takes them into the world of cyber sex is something that's unavoidable unless you're educated, and that's what this show is about. Right. And, you know, some of the other areas I just like to bring out for people to think about, and you certainly can work with your, um, you know, your, your Congress people and your local jurisdictions, is that domain, uh, domain name registries are not held accountable. In other words, you know, they can have things like, you know, childpornsite.com as an example or something. So that is, you know, it, the Internet's unregulated. Um, and sometimes web hosting site services do turn a blind eye to, you know, hosting pornography. Um, you know, some people say that credit card companies, members' banks should be more responsible to review how credit cards are being used. And, you know, what about going across international borders? These are all, you know, questions. Um, you know, there, another problem is in combat, you know, combating the whole thing is there's jurisdiction ambu ambiguity between states and countries. Um, you know, so there's there's a lot of different issues I think we're facing in general with the internet, but specifically with the pornography problem. Well, and I want to remind everyone that uh, on the Dr. Pat show today, and that's what you're listening to right now. Uh, we're bringing uh, one of the experts uh, to you, experts, uh, international experts, uh, Sue Newfeld-Ellis, and uh, she's talking about a topic that you all have asked me to talk about, and we're, we're capturing it in what we're calling the new addiction, and it's new addiction in that we're having so many ways for people to get plugged in, and Sue, you were brilliant the way you broke this down to a conversation that helps us understand there are different degrees. And exactly. so one of the things that parents ask, well, if I find my child on a site, oh, my God, let me take everything away from them. And, you know, we, we're finding this, but that may not be in an addiction. Exactly. And so is it any different than going out and buying a magazine? I mean, how do we really... How do we really make these fine line distinctions, and what can we say to parents? Well, um, I think it is different than um, buying a magazine. And one thing um, about that is that, um, for one thing, you don't have to go out and buy the magazine. So for adolescents unless, you know, and kids, unless they get it from family members or, or their friends, um, you know, they can't walk into, like, an adult bookstore or somewhere and buy, you know, and buy a magazine. So they can do it from their home. It's, you know, can be in isolation, not only kids, but, you know, people in general. It's very accessible. I mean, think about the variety uh, that you have at your fingertips. Um, also, you can be very anonymous. I mean, some people don't know how to be that anonymous, but, but a lot of people do. It's very affordable because, you know, there's so many pop-ups and also free sites 
that, you know, um, some people that I work with don't even spend any money anymore. I mean, you used to have to go out and spend, you know, anywhere from 5 to, you know, 50 bucks on a magazine or videos or whatever. And now, in a lot of cases, it doesn't cost anything. So, um, you know, it's, it's convenient to do it from the home. So, so it's instant gratification. And for some people, it is a, a, a medication or an escape. You know, not even if they're addicted, but they certainly can get compulsive or move in that arena if they're starting to medicate or use it as an escape. But again, there's different degrees. So I don't want to say that everybody on there is doing that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, is compulsive or does have uh, an addiction problem. But this thing can move quickly. Dr. Al Cooper, who's another um, uh, international expert in this field, I love it when, when he said, um, he said the um, Internet and cybersex is like the crack cocaine of sex addiction. Um, and so I think that that's true because of all the reasons that I just um, mentioned. So, um, and again, that, that, that impression, that, that really quick, you can get whatever you want or whatever's there, and then it gets really imprinted um, in your um, nervous system, in your brain, in your, your body. And so it is a very fast way to potentially escalate things compared to, let's say, the old uh, sexual acting out, such as using magazines or videos or those type of things. Well, and thank you for joining us today. I want to make sure that uh, the listeners out there that have questions, uh, this is a live show, so you get to uh, call in and ask your own questions. Uh, it's a very special occasion that we're having Sue Neufeld Ellis with us today, and the number uh, to call in is 877-876-5227. 877-876-5227. You know, I think, Sue, you make some clear distinctions between what is addiction, what is sexual addiction, and the types of, uh, and, then, and then going on to cyber sexual addiction. And the question that I would ask you is, uh, how do you make these distinctions? How do you, how, how do we get to that point? I mean, you, you're seeing hundreds and hundreds of people, so you're very familiar with this. What, are, what kinds of things should people look out for and people that may be in, you're listening to this show right now? Well, I think, again, it can start out very innocently and um, can move in that way uh, very, um, in some cases, quickly and in some, some cases not so quickly. But what we're looking for are some basic things. Uh, one is if someone has the inability to stop the behavior. In other words, if they've been on the Internet, they've been on the Internet, all of a sudden they look at the clock and they were only going to be on for one hour and they're on for five hours or three hours, and particularly if this goes on uh, frequently and they say, well, I'm not going to do that again, and that they are not able to stop the behaviors, uh, the behaviors themselves or, or any um, you know, situation that has to do with time. So inability to stop the behaviors and to keep trying to stop the behaviors and yet not being able to, and to continue to do the behaviors even though there's negative consequences. And in the negative consequence area, we mean things like family, children, uh, relationships, health, legal problems, school problems, 
those type of areas where these behaviors are beginning to impact other major areas of life and are out of control. Um, so those are some basic um, parameters to look at. Now, with children, there's a couple I want to share with some of the, the parents here, children and adolescents, is if, uh, and, and adults, <laughs> but uh, if the child or the person spends a lot of time in chat rooms, okay, and particularly around holidays like Christmas, spring break, Holidays seem to be higher risk because of the increased excitement, also the increased stress that sometimes goes with the holidays. So people spending lots of time in chat rooms. Um, if you find any pornography on your computer, rather it's husband, wife, or children, um, not to just say, oh, that must have just uh, happened as a fluke. Those things can happen, just like you said, Dr. Pat, but you need to just at least keep your flag up. Uh, like I said before, check CDs, discs, and the history, um, those type of things. Um, and particularly if children or adolescents are receiving calls from adults, especially men, um, to be suspect of that, um, some of the parameters they say around young children is not really to let them have cell phones or private lines. That's one way to protect young children. And um, look at the phone records that, you know, the calls that kids are making. And be suspect if there's long distance or numbers that you don't recognize, um, those type of things. And so if and at any time, if you, you walk in the room and someone, whether it's adult or a child, uh, you know, very quickly turns off the computer monitor or X's out the page or does a really quick delete, again, that's not indicative of an addiction, but it's just, it's just a yellow flag to be raising um, is, to, um, you know, is to at least keep an eye on that. And some of the definitions of addiction or compulsion with this is a pathological relationship with a mood-altering substance, experience, or event, or the substitution of a healthy relationship with an unhealthy one. So, you know, I think those are all things to use as barometers to keep an eye on uh, if there's a problem. Well, one of the things that I think has been confusing for people is that that uh, when we talk about these kinds of addictions, right, cybersex addictions, chat rooms, so forth and so on, uh -huh. um, a lot of it has been classified as a male problem, uh -huh. a problem with men. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What, what's going on? I mean, have women caught up? Are they at risk too? What's going on? Yeah, they are actually. Um, you know, it's it, one, and and again on some on the um, the. Uh, the uh, Internet Filter Review, the Internet Pornography Statistics, the site that I gave you before, um, one in three visitors to all adult websites are women. Now, that's visitors. doesn't mean they have a problem, but I'm just saying that. Um, and 70% uh, of the women that were surveyed kept their cyber activity secret. And women tend to uh, also have a higher percentage of the chat rooms um, than men do, although men are obviously on the chat room, but it, but they're drawn to that more is is the chat rooms. That's because they because women are more overall are more relational in that way. Uh, often the men go after the objectivity, but the women uh, intermingle uh, the the um, the excitement 
and in some cases the sex, the intrigue, the seduction, the romance, you know, with relationship. And so I think with women, it also um, does, it's, it's harder to see it um, than with men in a lot of cases. Um, and let's see, 9.4 million have accessed adult websites, it says. And um, what else? 13% of women admit to accessing pornography at work. And I want to say also that when Dr. Cooper did his, some of the first research on, on sex addiction, especially cyber sex in 1998, um, his research said that from the people that he surveyed, both men and women, um, men more than women, though, at that time in particular, 71% of those surveyed were looking at pornography between 9 and 5. So what that tells me is that, you know, um, cyber sex at work is definitely happening. Um, so, Well, and, you know, what's happened is organizations have responded to that, and I think this is important. Uh, what we've also seen, and I think you'll, know, you'll notice this, for those people that do actually have to go into work in major corporations, they have uh, tightened up security around the Internet, the consequences for even sending a personal email these days uh-huh. uh, will co- could cost you your job. So they have sort of beefed up their auditing process at work. And so, you know, back in uh, 1999 and even the early uh, two, 2000, 2002, uh, we started to see a shift. Uh, and so even with that shift, People that are addicted cannot help themselves, is that correct? Yeah, the ones that are really addicted uh, eventually usually get fired um, because what happens is they can't stop. And for some of them, it's actually the high risk adds to the medication factor. It's kind of like living on the edge. And so they want to see if they can pull it off. So it actually adds to that, that medication aspect. Um, yeah, and so there are, I mean, right now there's a case, I don't know that much about it, but I think um, an, uh, an employee got fired. I, I actually saw, heard it on Jay Leno. Um, an employee got fired at IBM for looking at um, pornography on the Internet, and I believe he is suing IBM. And so it's going to be, because he says that he has an illness, that he has a problem, and that he shouldn't have been fired for that. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the court does with that. Um, you know, rather they say that's garbage or rather they say there's something to it. Um, and so I guess we'll just have to see, you know. So what are you, so, well, let's just, let's just talk about this because this is important. So we're having a conversation now about this form of, you know, cyber addiction, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now has to be classified in some way, I would think, in the APA guide, or somehow there has to be a classification that says that this is an addiction, this is an illness? Exactly. And it, uh, I'll just give you some history on that. Uh, Dr. Patrick Carnes, who's uh, one of my teachers and colleague, um, he uh, has been uh, defining the criteria and working very hard to get this into the diagnostic manual, the DSM, that... Yep. Uh, all mental health uh, clinicians use to really to really say that this is an illness and there are diagnostic criteria and those of us are specialized in this and are certified 
uh, are trained in that diagnostic criteria. Now, some people say, oh, my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. Sex is an addiction? Well, actually, it, uh, it is. At its extreme form, it has the same criteria as chemical dependency, as alcoholism, as drug addiction. Actually, withdrawal has been documented um, in the research. Symptoms that are very similar to cocaine withdrawal uh, or people that have um, uh, sugar addiction, you know, with eating disorders, um, the symptoms are headaches, uh, some report shakiness in their body and, and fine tremors. Um, insomnia is a big, big problem. Wide, wide mood swings, and often once the behavior, um, if people are not acting out with their behavior anymore, often there's a um, depression and certainly anxiety underneath that. Um, so there are physiological effects for people that are on the far right diagnostic area of sex addiction. So, um, you know, with people, that's why it's so important for um, people to uh, go to someone who's trained and certified because they have been really trained in these diagnostic criteria. I mean, I had one therapist who was working with a couple, um, and this man had had an affair, and so this therapist didn't know, and the wife was thinking, was saying, oh, he, you know, he's got a sex addiction. And so what they said, and the therapist that was working with the couple said, I don't know anything about this. He says, I'm going to refer him to Sue for assessment. And so he came to me for an assessment, and I did an assessment with him. And this man did not have a sexual addiction. He was not sexually compulsive. He had had an affair. And I'm not saying I'm supporting that or it's good or bad. I'm just saying he did not meet the criteria for even being sexually compulsive. So it's really important, you know, sex can be so loaded that um, people can make some fast judgments about if something's a problem or not. And when it comes to really finding out if there is a problem, it really should be uh, diagnosed by a healthcare professional that knows what they're doing. Because it's, it's really important to get the right diagnosis and not misdiagnose. It's like when I was teaching a class, I teach this to therapists so they can understand it like we're talking about it tonight. And I was te I've been teaching it for like seven years, and I had some of my students be laugh. And you know, this is during the Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky incident. And in class, they said, "Oh, Sue, are you? You know, do you think Bill Clinton's a sex addict?" And I said, "You know, I'd have to get him in my office and do an assessment, and you should too." So you know, it's really when it comes to really um, finding out what's going on, it's really important to be informed. And to really uh, go to uh, to someone that knows what they're talking about, right? And so really, I mean, because there, is, it's like you said. I mean, you've been doing this for seven years, teaching teaching therapists about this, right? And you know, this is a field that's going to continue to grow because we're finding that you know we're finding that younger people, children, the comment made to me the other day, uh -huh. and it, the comment was made kind of almost like bragging rights. And I thought about this, given that we were going to have this conversation today, and it was from a father, and he said to me, oh, yeah, my new son was born with a computer in his mouth. And I'm thinking to myself, I think that the parent was really, like, cool about that, that that was a really good thing. Uh -huh. And I thought about that, and I, 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 it's going to be difficult in my mind to really determine 
what is an overuse, what is a compulsive, what is addiction. And, you know, I came across some questions, and I sh- I'm sure you have an assessment that you do. I do. But, but people, you know, have come up with, you know, some general questions. And the questions have to do with, are you spending more, more and more time doing this thing? Meaning, yes. just like you said before, it used to be an hour, now it's two hours. Oh, and now, by the way, I've missed Christmas. Exactly. Exactly. And and do people, you know, lead a secret or double life? You know, in other words, are they saying one thing and doing something else? Or are there things that can't, you know, are there things that can't be explained? Again, that's another flag to watch for uh, are those type of things. And also, if there's um, constant levels of denial or minimizing, oh, that's no big deal, or making excuses, or blaming other people when it comes to, you know, acting out sexually on the Internet, or just, you know, other sexual addictions as well. You know, those are some other signs to look for, uh, too. And I want to say there are other compulsive uses besides, I just want to deviate a little bit here from the sexual part of it, there are compulsive uses of the computer and the Internet in general. So besides, you know, the sex chat rooms or the dating chat rooms, there are user group chat rooms of people that have, you know, just common, you know, interests. And those can be good. There's also support groups on the Internet, like Alcoholics Anonymous. There's a lot of online uh, meetings nowadays, 12-step meetings, that can be good for folks. Um, You know, there's... uh, Internet gambling. Now, I'm, you know, people have a problem with that too, but I also know some people can have fun with that and not have a problem with it, but there are online casinos. Now, some of these casinos also include sex. So again, we're looking at different levels of this. Online shopping, (laughs) you know, Amazon, L.L. Bean, and that can be fun too, but I know some people, like I know somebody in general that, that you know, doesn't really have issues on the Internet, not the sexual issues, any of that, but said to themselves, you know what, I find myself going home every night and buying something on the Internet. And I notice it's starting to increase from one hour to two hours to three hours. So, again, there can be other areas that aren't particularly sexually oriented that we just have to keep an eye on because all this stuff's okay as long as it doesn't start interfering with our the rest of our lives or we end up spending money that we don't have or can't pay bills with. You know, so, so it's just keeping an eye on that. There's online auctions like eBay, of course, um, day trading, um, there's strategy games, and, you know, I've heard some uh, people be concerned about people being um, on the Internet playing too many hours of games. I mean, games are fun. Like anything else, it can be a problem. There's sports and sports gambling, you know, um, fantasy football, um, you know, so there's, you know, a number of, of things. Now, I want to share some signs and symptoms also of just basic computer or Internet addiction, basically, or at least concerns, let's put it that way. One is inability to predict the amount of time spent on the computer. So saying, I'm only going to be there for a half an hour and end up not doing that. Two is uh, failed attempts to control personal computer use for an extended period of time. Having a sense of euphoria while on the computer. And that would give you 
uh, that would be one indicator that there's some mood altering going on. So that would be something to keep an eye on. Craving more computer time, like getting anxious or irritable or angry that you can't get on the computer. Um, neglecting family and friends. You know, instead of taking your son to the baseball game, you go, no, 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 and have someone else take him because you need to be on the computer. Feeling, like I said, restless, irritable, and discontent when not on the computer. Lying to employers and family about computer activity. Problems with school or job performance as a result of excessive computer use. Feelings of guilt, shame, anxiety, or depression as a result of time spent on the computer. So this is after you're, you know, you've, you're off and you said, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't have spent that money or spent so much time on it. Or, and, again, changes in sleep patterns. There's a number of people that will stay up till 2, 3, 4 in the morning on the computer, rather it's sexually acting out or just, you know, surfing the web for other things. And, again, it's, it's interfering with their production time during the day. Health issues such as carpal tunnel syndrome, eye strain, weight change, back aches, those are some things. Um, withdrawal from real-life hobbies and social interactions with people. Um, and incre also creation of enhanced persona to find cyber sex or cyber love. So that's, you know, what we're talking about there is, is writing a profile or emailing back and forth and saying that you're something that you're not, either through your own fantasy of what you think you should be or would like to be or what you think the other person thinks you should be. You know, so, again, those things aren't all bad. I've met other people that have met, you know, on the Internet through Match.com or eHarmony, and they've gotten married and they have good relationships. So, again, it's not all bad. We're just looking at let's just be aware if there's problems so that, you know, our lives can be happier. That's the whole goal. Well, one of the things that I think many people are grappling with, and I, and I, this is, I want to get your take on this, is the real world versus the cyber world. Yeah. And what I say about that, and, and let's talk about that for a minute, because this is really important. For example, if you go out and have an affair in the real world, then that is adultery. That could be any number of things that will get somebody in trouble. Right. But if you have an affair, quote, on the Internet, some people say, no, that's not even possible. You can't yeah. do that. That's not real. That wasn't well, a real thing. I mean, this is kind of a, a confusing conversation for people. I can only imagine what the, the courts uh, are, are going to do and deal with this when this comes up in the courtroom. Yeah, it's really interesting because, um, you know, I talk with a lot of people since this is, you know, my area, but I talk a lot of people to a lot of people about uh emotional affairs and those aren't even ones on the internet. <laughs> and so, you know, <laughs> you know, those are just in real life it can be emotional affairs as well as on the internet. And I think it's whenever you are taking your attention out of your primary relationship. So, it's, you know, maybe you're not having sex but you're sharing um, things that are important to you. Uh, you're getting to know each other deeper and deeper. Uh, something happens and you share it with that person instead of your significant other or your spouse. And so, yes, I think it really is relational. You know, it's a relational issue. And there's some, um, I want to share some other things about that. Um, 
that it can, being on the Internet certainly can decrease um, you being able to really connect because what you do is you objectify and so you don't uh, connect with someone on all levels, which would be, you know, emotionally and intellectually, spiritually. There's actually a term for it. It's relational regression. And it means people stop having relationships out of sight of the cyber world. Now, that's extreme, but they start to isolate and pull away. And the real is replaced with the digital. Uh, people begin to lose the ability to make human connections. And relational expansion results in being closer to electronic friends, um, sexually or not sexually, uh, than you are your own family. Because being on the net can really have a trance-like quality that creates a new technology for escape. And so, you know, those are real concerns, is pulling people away from, from the real, you know, instead of um, mm-hmm. uh, connecting. Well, one of the things that, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to remember who pointed it out, uh, um, I, I think in a report by somebody by the name of Michael Connor, I think I was reading, uh, talks about children, especially children with ADHD, uh, become especially vulnerable. And, and, and this is really difficult on the parents because on the one hand, here you have a child that is really so intrigued and tapped in to the, the cyber universe. And that includes all aspects of instant messaging and now text messaging. And at the same time, you see your child's reaction to this, a child that doesn't necessarily know how to be focused or cannot be focused other places, and yet at the same time, what's happening, they're becoming compulsive. Isn't that, is that correct? Yes. Uh, It can, yeah, that definitely can, can happen. That definitely can. And so, you know, and the thing is what we know, too, for um, sexual compulsivity, I'm not saying sexual addiction, but in Dr. Cooper's study, he says there is a higher incident in his study of people with ADHD or ADD. So, in other words, that is a higher risk factor for developing online compulsivity. So, you know, and also coping with stress or other emotions. So, you know, if someone, is, you know, a child has a, or even an adult for that matter, ADD, ADHD, um, they usually have a, a problem also coping with stress and or anxiety or, you know, trying to get things straight at school or work. You know, they have a hard time sometimes organizing things. And so you add all of that, and it does put them at higher risk. It puts them at higher risk for chemical dependency as well as online um, sexual compulsivity. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, with the kids um, in that, you know, even though on one hand, um, you know, it's something that might be positive for them, I think there needs to be limits, you know, mm-hmm. limits on, you know, how much time they can spend with a game or online, um, you know, and there has to be other uh, activities and other things like exercise or sports or things, you know, finding out things that they're interested in or things that they can do, even with the ADD or the ADHD, to help balance that out. Well, one of the things you said was really key, and I know that uh, a very close friend of mine will be listening to this tonight, and that is if you uh, take this away from a child and they can't live without it, there's a problem. 
That's exactly right. And, you know, um, if they're, you know, kicking and screaming and, you know, it's like anything else. You just have to, to you know, support them, set limits with them, set boundaries, and uh, continue to do it. You, you have to be the parent. You've got to step up to the plate, and it's not comfortable, and, you know, we don't like it, and, and our kids may be mad at us, or, but, you know, they also unconsciously, if not consciously, want that structure, want the boundaries, want the parent to set those limits, no matter how much they buck against them. You know, I worked with adolescents. I don't anymore, but I used to work with adolescents a lot in chemical dependency and in other addictive treatment. And that's what I would do. I would outpatient, but particularly when I worked inpatient hospitals and treatment centers, that was most of my job <laughs> besides counseling and everything else. And I mean it. I would go home and go, what the heck is this? You know, the kids would be mad because of all the boundaries and the limits. And, of course, I had the worst of the worst in those places. But you know what? I would run into them in the mall. Like, I can't – they come up and they go – um, are you Sue? And I'd say, yeah. And they go, do you remember me? And, you know, like now they're in their 20s or whatever. And I go, no. And they go, well, I was in that unit with you, and, boy, I sure gave you heck. And I didn't like what you did. But, you know, I remember a lot of the things that you did say to me, and I want to let you know, even though I hated it then, I really needed that structure, and I want to thank you. Now, mm-hmm. I'm lucky because I get the feedback. I got the feedback, you know, <laughs> from the kids in the street seeing me in the mall. But, you know, a lot of us don't get that, and we don't get that till later, till our children are adults. But, but you know, we have to be strong, and we have to set the limits, and we have to do what's right. And if that's hard for us, we need to get support ourselves as parents. Exactly. And one of the things I want to point to that you pointed out, and I want to make sure everyone knows that we're talking tonight with uh, – Sue Newfeld Ellis, and this is a show that many of you have asked for over the past year and a half, and finally got someone that can really address the multi-dimensions of this. Sue Newfeld Ellis. I want to point you to her website for several several reasons. Um, first thing is go to quantumhealing.us. When you get there, you will see there's a special offer for Dr. Pat listeners. It's free. Special offer for Dr. Pat listeners, and again. It is quantumhealing.us. It is a, another body of work that she does and is phenomenal at, and it, it's about reducing stress. So you'll be able to download 25 stress reduction tips. You'll also find on her website her brand-new CD. Uh, it's uh, Serenity Through Meditation. Now, Sue, you have found the best of the best in creating the CD, and I think it's important for our listeners to hear about how your work, how your work with uh, addiction, how your work in the field to heal people led you to create the CD. Well, that's the thing. When you said at the beginning of the show, Dr. Pat, about this is spirituality to sex or sex to spirituality or both of them, that was so right on because, you know, it's like, okay, so we deal with all this stuff and then what do we do? So we have to find ways to manage stress that works, diet, exercise. I mean, there's a number of things. But what I found in my work with people is that being able to relax and work with that anxiety and to feel good about oneself and to actually fill the holes that these compulsive or addictive behaviors or these escape mechanisms are attempting to do. And so one of the ways to do that is through relaxation and meditation. And it actually changes the cells in the body and the brain waves. And so with the CD, over my years of working with hundreds of people, um, it's 
a relaxation at the beginning of the CD, and the soundtrack is done by Stephen Halperin, uh, where the brain waves actually can comfortably and safely change from alpha to beta to theta state. And that theta state is that deep relaxation, that deep meditation place. And so it helps people in the busy, busy world. And when they go, why do I want to sit down and meditate? I'm just going to feel more anxious. This is a wonderful way to relax and get started. And I have um, two visualizations on there with the meditation, which are very self-nurturing, very about self-forgiveness and letting go of whatever's limiting you to create your, you know, the extraordinary life that you deserve. And so it's, you know, I'm getting incredible feedback uh, about it. Children are loving it, you know. So, so it's really, I just feel really good about it. Well, what's new about this and, and what's important about this, and you've shared this on some of my other shows, is that there are people, anytime you say the word meditation, they stick their finger in their mouth like they're going to throw up. Yeah. And one of the things that you've created is a way for even, you know, people that can't really see their way out of taking time for medita- meditation, you've created a, a fabulous way to do this. Right. They just have to sit down and put on the headphones or put in the CD and just relax and enjoy it. And that's it. It's just a fast, efficient, quick, and comfortable way to relax. And and iPod-friendly. And so, Sue Newfeld-Ellis, I want to thank you so much for joining the show today. Uh, We have opened the door of conversation for many, many people. We've covered a lot here in this show. If people uh, want to uh, find out more about Sue, go to her workshop, uh, excuse me, website, quantumhealing.us. Check it out. Don't forget to download um, the free 25 stress reduction tips for free. And your phone number is on here and ways to contact Sue. Thank you, Sue. This has been a phenomenal show. I want to thank you for uh, taking time out of your schedule and joining us. I'm sure you've answered uh, many of the questions that have come up for many, many people. Thank you, Dr. Pat. And I want to thank everyone here at BBS Radio for another fabulous show, pushing all the buttons in the right way. You know how to reach me, www.thedrpatshow.com, www.thedrpatshow.com. Let us know what you want to hear. Let us know the topics you want to cover, and we make sure we bring them on. For a full schedule of all the shows or for a schedule of previous interviews Sue has done with me, you can also go to my website, search on her name, and there you go. You'll be able to check out all of the conversation. Until next week, make sure that you create the world that you want. Make sure that you know that you are divine and magnificent and have the divine birthright to live life full out. I'm Dr. Pat Basile, the host of this show. And until next week, make yourselves a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous week. BBS Radio.